Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, welcome back. I am here with Suzanne Greenman. Suzanne, how are you? I am lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a tremendous opportunity to be here. I think what you do in bringing information out to everyone that's practicing, I think that's so important. So thank you. No, I want to thank you, Suzanne, for joining us. And and like, you know, thank you in advance for sharing your knowledge. I mean, I saw you, I met you at uh, the PMAC Main Train Conference, and I attended your seminar there about uh, risk-based asset criticality. So I'm pretty excited to talk to you today. Awesome. Thank you. I look forward as well. So Suzanne, you've been in the maintenance and reliability game for a long time. Do you want to just give everyone a background, a little bit about yourself? Right. So I started out uh, studying electrical engineering. I got a scholarship. I mean, truth be told, I always say I I attended a very prim and proper all-girls boarding school and uh, one careers day, a past student came and she talked to us uh, about engineering. She really couldn't get us interested. So out of frustration, she kind of said, well, if you do engineering, you will get to work with boys every day and get lots of money. And so coming from a poor background and being in, a, in an all-girls school, that was extremely attractive. So I got into engineering. I got a scholarship from Carb Cement in Jamaica. And then I went back to work for them right after university and uh, just continued on. I got into maintenance. That's where I was placed. Then after a few years of settling in, I started to ask myself, this isn't working very well together. How, how can we get maintenance to work together? So then I came across reliability, started to look at those kinds of uh, functions and how the, the, the more assurance part of it comes in. And then from there, I got into asset management, looking at the entire life cycle of the asset and uh, really how we extract value from from the asset. So that's a little bit about me. I've been doing it for 21 years. I've worked across uh, three asset intensive organizations, uh, cement manufacturing, power generation and wastewater industry. And um, I've worked across a, a good bit of the asset management uh, field. So uh, capital program management, uh, project management, 
asset management, maintenance management. I've even done a little stint in HR, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. So <laughs> yeah, this, this is me. I've, I've lived, this is country number seven. I'm happy to be here. I've all the places that I, I've lived in, they have all accepted me as uh, one of their own. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And so like, you know, like I was looking through your, your kind of your work history there and you've lived in some places, Trinidad and Tobago, Puerto Rico, Bermuda, and now you're up in Winnipeg. Like, are you enjoying the winters? Like what's going on here? <laughs> it's, it's amazing because I think it's not as cold as, as people think it is. It does get pretty cold, mind you. But, uh, you know, just uh, really, I'm always on a journey to broaden my horizons. And Canada offers that. I, I came to Winnipeg for a job, but I chose to stay because of the people and the environment. It's a very family-oriented environment, so it's it's a fantastic place to, to raise your kids. And we decided to stay because of that. <laughs> the balmy summers of Winnipeg. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when you were in Winnipeg, like you founded the PMAC chapter in Winnipeg. Do you want to give us a little breakdown of PMAC and kind of what they do and what if anyone's in Winnipeg and they want to join, how they can do that? Yeah, so my boss came to me with this idea that we should probably have a chapter here in Winnipeg. So we set about it and we got a chapter going. It's been quite vibrant. PMAT, by the way, stands for the Plant Engineering and Maintenance Association of Canada. So it is a, an association that focuses on information and education around maintenance, reliability and asset management. So there are several ways that you can become a part of it. You can join the association and, of course, benefit from it has an extensive body of knowledge. There are conferences once a year. Uh, there are other professional development opportunities like uh, the chapter has events, but there's also seminars and stuff like that. And then uh, you could also benefit from the educational opportunities. So PMAC has a certified asset management uh, professional program. I went through that program. There is a maintenance management professional program. There is a, a prep course for the certified asset management assessor, if you want to do that. There are also an exam center for CMRP. And uh, again, for the local chapter, just join us uh, follow uh link join with me on linkedin uh let me know what you want to do join up with us in the chapter we're pretty open um uh, we're we're very happy to have everybody and as a matter of fact on thursday we will have our third professional development uh, uh event for 2018 it is entitled developing a maintenance strategy in the 21st century it will be headlined by peter stock uh, out of violet it's been sponsored by violet and four other sponsors and uh, just come join us and hear what it is about and you will have the opportunity to learn a lot and to network with other people who are in the same industries and facing the same kind of challenges as you are yeah, check them out at um, pmac.org and you will get all the information that you want on that organization. Awesome. And so now, you know, Suzanne, right now you're working as an above ground asset management manager for Viola. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do for them? 
So Veolia itself is a company that deals with uh, water, wastewater, and uh, energy, but really focuses on the circular economy and looking at how we can reuse uh, some of the stuff that we generate out of a very linear approach to the, the natural resources of the world. So you will find us a lot in where waste is generated. And so currently at the city of Winnipeg, they are our clients and we have a long-term contract there. And what we do is that we support by giving advice uh, and develop strategies around capital program management, as well as maintenance operations and asset management. Awesome. No, that's really cool. And so I guess I, I want to get kind of into the nuts and bolts of, of of this week's topic. And so you recently published an article at uh, com titled, Is Your Asset Information Treated as an Asset? Now, I mean, obviously, as reliability and asset management pr- professionals, we kind of love information. I mean, I know I'm a huge fan of data and the kind of the, even the IIoT, like I'm a big fan of, of having data. What if, why don't we start off a little bit, like a little bit basic and talk about what an asset is? Absolutely. So first of all, what an asset is depends on what the company is and what the goals of the organization is. But uh, roughly speaking, ISO 55000 defines an asset as anything that has the potential to give value to the organization and to its stakeholders. So what an asset is in one organization may not be an asset in another organization, which also brings us to value. It also means that what value is to one organization, value may not be the same for another organization. So everything has to be taken in the context of what that organization is set up to do, what its operating context is, what are the challenges that it's facing, what's it, what is its market, what are the products that it makes, what, what are the services that it delivers to others, and that will determine what the asset is. And a little bit later, if we have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about it, we will. I will give, for example, standards that you can develop to really identify in your situation, in your organization, what a managed asset is. Awesome. No, I let's get into it right now. So like, so if we have assets and like, I think a lot of our audience, because we're kind of in the reliability and maintenance fields, we would agree that, you know, information about our assets, whether that's like a maintenance history or the predictive maintenance data, it is an asset because we can use it to make better decisions around that asset or that piece of equipment. So what would you, like, what kind of standards would you have for a managed asset? So first and foremost, if if we start with the assets and the assets give you information, you analyze that information and you make decisions, and that is how you get value. So on a day-to-day basis, you come into your your job, what you are doing is managing assets. So let's start fundamentally. You asked about the managed assets. Let's start with the asset registry. So the asset registry should contain the following information because it's the repository of where your assets are 
and it it's a soft version of your actual assets. So the information that should be in your asset registry would be your definition of what the managed asset is, asset identification, which should be unique, hierarchy, classification, specification, criticality, and bill of materials. So if we start with what is the definition of an of a managed asset, and I'm going to pick a pump because almost everybody understands what a pump system is. So how, how do you think the mechanical folks would define the assets? They normally would say that the entire pump system is the asset. But if you go to the other side of the table and you ask the electrical folks to define it, they're going to say that the motor is a separate asset from the pump and so on and so forth. So how do we resolve this? We establish information standards. That's what we do to define what we agree that the rules are going to be for how something becomes an asset in your organization. So some examples could be an asset. Some people might say if it's a high value, if you want to record useful life for that piece of equipment, maintenance work, if you want to record cost and history, then that particular item should be an asset. Normally, I would recommend to my clients and to others that if you're selecting something that is a part of an asset to be an asset itself, it should have something like a depreciation period that is different from the parent asset. Otherwise, why are you doing it? The asset normally something that should have high criticality, you know, reflecting significant environmental safety, operational and maintenance impact. You could also have other statutory requirements for identifying an item as an asset. So you could take something that is a simple device like a pressure relief valve that needs to be inspected by governmental agencies, let's say the fire department. So it's small, perhaps inexpensive, but it would need to be an asset because how would you then be able to prove that you've carried out the work and you've carried out the inspection or the re replacements that need to be done? Then you could have artificial assets that you just build to facilitate roll up of costs. You know, and there, there are many other operational and maintenance requirements that would that you would need to record information against an item which would say that it should be an asset, right? Warranty, for example, you might need to manage warranty on an item in the first few years of its life. The easiest way to do that and to be able to track what happens with it is to make it an asset. So really, the gist of it, if you also want to assess the condition over its service life, then it should be an asset. If you really want to know what the total cost of ownership is, it needs to be an asset. So whether something becomes a managed asset or not in your organization really depends on if you intend to collect and generate information on that item and analyze it over time. And that's, these are just some examples of standards that people would put in to define for their organization what an asset is. No, that's perfect. Now, when you mentioned asset registry, are you talking about like the CMMS system or is it something different? So the asset registry is, uh, and it exists over and above your CMMS. The CMMS contains it, but you should have your asset registry defined 
outside of the, the, the CMMS, meaning you should know what it is before you engage your software supplier for a CMMS. So you should know how you're going to classify your asset. You should know uh, how they're related to each other hierarchically. So you should know what your asset hierarchy looks like. You should have developed specification templates for the different asset types that you have. You should know what the criticality is. And then your CMMS is the repository for that information. Perfect. And so you mentioned in the article that you have an asset information strategy. Now, what, what exactly does that mean and how do you define that? So that is actually the starting point, really. When you're developing an asset information management system, the first thing you should have is a strategy that then describes what these overarching goals of this management system is going to be. It will state things like how it will support the asset management goals because the asset information management system should not be an end in and of itself. It is an enabler of your asset management goals. And so therefore it will contain in it as well, you know, information about a policy. It will include, you know, how is the information going to be treated? That should be defined in a policy. It will include, for example, the definition of the asset information requirements. So a lot of times people set out in, in organizations and what is information is very iterative and evolves over time. But there should be a point in time when the organization defines its requirements and say, well, okay, this is the information that we want on the assets at the various life cycle stages. So that's what we call the asset information requirements. Your strategy will also contain a gap analysis so that you know where the areas for improvement in your current practices would be. So, you know, looking at all of that, we'd consider all of that to be the strategy. And, and does, like the gap analysis, it must be fairly easy to look at your current data and figure out where you're missing, right? Yes and no, because the gap analysis will be based not so much on the data that you have, but it will be based on what your requirements are. So it will be a step back first to define what your asset information requirements would be. So if you take a, a typical asset over its life cycle, your asset information gets generated when the asset is, uh, we call it lust to dust. So in your conceptualization stage. So you would have feed in, which is front end engineering design information. And that information would be in one set of systems and that represents the first set of requirements that you have and then as you go on through the assets life cycle you have deployment information such as your commissioning information your your first uh, first run condition analysis that kind of information then you get into your operating type information your maintenance information then you get into your performance information so how the equipment is performing, how, how work uh, performs on the equipment, then, you know, along the lines, you would have developed from the conceptualization stage a good bit of your asset registry. 
So it's several types of information over the life cycle. So if you really look at it and do a maturity assessment, you might find you're not concerned only about what is in your CMMS, but you might find that your as-built drawings, for example, are missing, or you don't have any commissioning data to reference when you start to have uh, specific problems with the assets. So it's, it's, it's different types of information that gets generated from the beginning of the life cycle to the end of the life cycle. Now, would your CMMS even be able to hold all this information or are you going to need a different centralized data warehouse to do it? That's absolutely a good question. So where the information stays depends absolutely on what type of information it is. So not all the information is in your CMMS. As a matter of fact, in the article, I outlined probably about 10 different types of uh, asset information systems, which would be actual software places where these information would be. So different types of information gets generated and that is what determines where it is stored. So your front-end engineering uh, design information, for example, may be stored in a project management information system that engineering has. Your as-built drawings may be stored in a drawing management system. Policies might be on your server or it might be in other document management system. Your inventory master catalog may be in your ERP, which is your enterprise resource planning software, which is where all your financials happen. So that's where vendors get paid from and that kind of thing. Purchase orders are done there. Um, and uh, and so your, your, if you pick another example, your asset criticality and asset classification, those would be in your CMMS. So there isn't one software, there isn't one repository that holds everything. What is important is that the organization has defined these things as requirements and has said, okay, these places will be where these types of information will be. And to do that, this is when, for the first time, you know, I've been talking, but I haven't been talking much about the software, but this is when you would engage the software side of it, your IT department, because it's not just the software, it's the infrastructure, it's all the governance that's going to go with that to ensure that the data is safe. So it's not one place. And if you look even I challenge you to look in any organization and you'll find that the information is in different places. What is important is that it is mapped out and we have decided deliberately that it is going to be there. So for example, we, we don't randomly go and attach um, drawings to, to, to assets in the CMMS if we have decided that drawings will be in a drawing management system. Yeah, I think that's a lot with with a lot of things that we do is it, it's I was using this example last week when I was teaching a seminar was like run to failure is OK if we've made the decision that we want to run to failure. <laughs> that's a pet peeve of mine because run to fit. You're absolutely correct. Run to failure is a valid strategy, but it is exactly that. It is a strategy. It is not devoid of strategy and planning. So if you've decided to do run to failure, then you have decided to stock parts, to stock kits, to stock repaired assets. You have, you have made those decisions. 
So you haven't just decided for the first time when it has failed that, oops, the strategy is run to failure. It doesn't work that way. You're absolutely correct. And I, and I think like we talk about all the time, but I think that, you know, like you saying it is like, we need to define what we're going to do. And I, that's the one thing I really liked about like not only your article, but also like the, the ISO 55,000 is it really gives people a framework so that they can go back to their organization and define what they're going to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and if organizations take the time to define what the information requirements are going to be and define your asset information management system, I guarantee you that when these organizations then go out to say that, okay, we want to buy a CMMS and you take that and you hand it to your people who are bidding on your projects to your suppliers, you're going to have a different type of conversation with them and a different experience. And probably a better one. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because what's going on now is a lot of people just rely on the software and on the software provider to define their business processes. And the software, people who are external to your organization don't know your assets. They don't know your asset information systems. They don't know your organization and what you're trying to achieve. So if you are serious about this, take the time to develop your asset information management system upfront, then engage software as an enabler of that asset information rather than the other way around. So I guess that leads me to the question is like, so what do we have to do to get this going? Like if we're creating our asset information strategy, is this something that is like a one-page document or is this a very extensive project? Like, how does this work? So the asset information strategy, yeah, that's, it's the, the entire thing. It, it's not a, the asset information strategy by itself would be a small part of it, but your entire asset information management system would be several pages long and you would then probably represent it in something like a standard for asset management or, a, or an asset management manual or something like that so that people can find it. But really, if you want to do that, uh, companies want to get uh, this done, you can connect with people like me, but I'm not the only one. There are other people that do it. And if you're good enough to establish this within your own organization, with your own staff, you know, kudos to you. But the essence of what people like me and my firm would do is that we would help you start at the beginning. So we would help you to define the strategy based on the assets that you have and also based on how your organization is set up. We'd help you to define your informational requirements over the life cycle of the different types of assets that you have. And then we would perform a gap analysis, a maturity assessment, would help you to define your informational standards and identify from there what your asset information system needs would be, which would be the actual software that would support that, as well as, you know, data management processes, because you will need to manage the data. So you will need governance and protocols in place. Again, if you are at the stage that you're at, you're usually there because there are some cultural barriers in place. And uh, that's 
really probably why you haven't jumped out of the hurdle, jump over the hurdle yet of, of asset information being an asset. So consultants will help you, consultants like myself, will help you through the change management uh, processes. And is it, you're correct when you say it's, it's not a, a simple feat. It, it needs good, um, good support and, and uh, good backing from the leadership of the organization. Perfect. And so let's, let's jump on that a little bit. So the culture around data, like wh- where do you see the, that people's cultures fail when we're looking at asset information? Yeah, that, that's a really good question, Rob. I think uh, for the most part, two main ways is really treating data badly, treating it like an outside component and thinking that it will take care of itself. It will not. It has to be managed into giving you the value that you want, which is helping to make decisions. And uh, just remember, what is in your CMMS? Every time you say my CMMS doesn't have anything in it, it largely is because you didn't put anything in it. So, (laughs) So really what we need to do is to get into managing the data. The other mistake that I see a lot, and this is probably bigger than the first one, is that thinking that buying more and better software will fix your data problems. It will not. It absolutely will not. Without deliberate planning and development of your asset information management system, the software is not going to help you. It's actually going to create more chaos than ever as you try to wrap yourself deeper and deeper into a hole just trying to make the CMMS work you know so those are the two big mistakes that I see uh, people don't pay attention to the data but expect that it will be there for them and thinking that software will fix the problems yeah I mean software it's no different than you know people now are looking at the you know the AI and the IIoT and it's not going to fix the fact that you can't plan and schedule work or you can't install your stuff correctly, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm watching this one uh, roll out with a, with a lot of interest because I have a lot of interest in in the IoT, but I just want to see uh, if people are going to just jump in it and make it crazy without fixing some of the fundamental problems that they have. Like I tell people all the time that you're not going to get very far if, for example, your asset registry is not properly set up and in your CMMS or wherever you've decided it's going to be. If it's not set up properly and in there and accessible in the way that it should be, you're not going to get very far with anything else. So you can forget about doing PMs, you can forget about doing condition monitoring. If you don't get your asset registry right, you're going to be in trouble. So whenever I have to speak with people, I always go back to um, Stephen Covey's first things first, and your asset registry is a first step, a fundamental step in, in asset management. Absolutely. Like it's, it's definitely something that props up a lot of other stuff. I guess one thing there is, you know, you you mentioned that people uh, look at their CMMS and then the data is in there is either not in there or, 
you know, people aren't putting comments on the work orders or whatever. How do we make our, how do we set ourselves up for success? Like, how do we get our people to put in the information that we need? So I, I think in the first place, uh, get people involved in, in, in understanding this. Be sure to explain to people what, what information is needed and manage the workload. Uh, if your system is, is slow and if it takes half an hour to move from one page to the next page, people are not going to take the time to put comments in on, on the work order. If there are ways to automate it and provide drop-down menus and, and simplified, uh, simplified uh, way of doing it, for example, if you put like your failure codes in and repair codes in, some of those things can be automated. And then finally, if the information is not actually being used for decision making, then you're going to lose all your fans in no time. So the information, people have to see value in what in the work that they're doing. Uh, the HR people call it useful, meaningful work. And if people put the information in, then they must see that, oh, it is being analyzed. It is being used to make decisions. So I'm glad I put it in. But if people see that it's not being used for anything, they're not going to pay you any mind. So it has to do with, you know, build a culture around the fact that the data is as important as the pump. Declare the data and the information as assets, which means that you're going to do your risk analysis and your mitigating plans on it the same way that you would on any other tangible, on any tangible asset. And think about contingency planning, you know, what would you do if you came in tomorrow morning and all the screens on your HMI were, they were all black or it had been hacked and you, you have no access? What would you do in, in that case? Are those things a part of your emergency response plan? You know, so if you start to think about data in that way, yes, it's an asset and I'm going to put the same level of planning around it as any other assets, then everybody will eventually come on board that, okay, the data is really important. I see that it has been used to, to make decisions and I see that there is protection over it. There's planning over it. And it also means that the infrastructure that is there, so your CMMS, your enterprise asset management, your ERP, they will also be need, be, need to be declared as assets and they will also have their own asset management plans associated with them. So it's, it's, this is not one of those things that you're going to be able to whip the guys on the plant into shape and tell them, you got to do this. You got to fill up, fill up your, your work orders and, and fill up. They have to be supported. The system has to be supportive of it. And they have to see that the data is being used for something. And that, you know, and, and a lot of the times data goes in there and either nobody looks at it or the feedback loop doesn't happen to the guys on the floor. And I think that's one thing that really kills these types of initiatives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they, they will not keep doing it. You know, they will not keep doing it because they're also quite busy and uh, they will just stop. The, it, the chain will stop at the weakest link. Yeah. So I guess I, I guess I got one question, one more big question before we get you out of here. 
And, and that's kind of like, if you have any, do you have any top tips? If someone's out there and they're listening and they're like, Hey, you know, I, I noticed that we're not using data to the fullest extent that we could be. And we kind of want to start down this path. How do like, what kind of tips do you have for them so they can get started and get rolling uh, in treating their asset, like, or sorry, their information, like an asset? People are going to hate me, but I'm going to say start at the beginning because if you if you haven't gone out and defined what information you need in the first place, chances are you are collecting irrelevant information that actually cannot be used in its current state to make any kind of decision at all. So define the requirements and define the standards so that there will be quality around the information that that is put in it the information will be accurate uh it will have integrity so uh, this is the other thing that happens quite a bit with cmms's the information doesn't always have integrity and by that i mean it doesn't match the actual thing so for example if in your cmms it says that the pump is a 50 horsepower uh a pump with a 50 horsepower motor, then when we go out into the field, it must be a pump with a 50 horsepower motor. So start at the beginning, define the requirements because the requirements will ensure that your data is fit for purpose. It's the first thing that ensures that it's fit for purpose and useful to you in making the decisions that you need to make. And then, as I mentioned before, Treat your data, declare them as assets, treat them the same as you would a pump. And this, like all other asset management initiatives, need to be led from the top of the organization because there may be changes that will have to be made to how the organization is structured to, to be able to accomplish this. You know, so it needs to be supported from the top of the organization. And it's, you know, asset management. Uh, Asset management philosophies speak a lot about top management involvement and leading from in front. This is one of those cases that this would need to be led from the top of the organization. So declare them as assets, but also treat them as assets, which means you put the right planning and systems around them to ensure that they can deliver value. Awesome. Yeah, I, I don't really see this as too different than, uh, you know, just any other asset management plan. So it, it definitely has to start with, you know, your business goals in mind and start at the top of the organization. Absolutely. Because what, what your information does is support your business drivers and support your organizational objectives through your asset management objectives. Absolutely. And so on that note, so you have a a book coming out in, you know, December or so of this year called Risk-Based Asset Criticality. Do you want to give everyone kind of a, a brief overview? Yeah. So I've written this book. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I've written it as a handbook because I've outlined a methodology filled with uh, practical examples. And I've, I've been very careful with my words. 
it's not a method that I'm selling. I'm selling a methodology because you do need to go apply it to your organization and, and decide how it will work for your organization. So my book provides uh, guidelines on how to revamp your asset criticality assessment process to become risk-based risk and facilitate decisions. So really, Take your asset criticality, your dead asset criticality that you have sitting around somewhere, which is not providing any value because you're not using it to do anything. Nobody knows how the numbers came about. There, everybody has, if, if your system is one to one to 10, then most of the assets have five because nobody has looked at it. There's no criteria defined there. So, Take all of that and let's convert it into a risk-based decision-making process. So really it starts by looking at the business drivers for the organization, how we could convert that into or those into consequences of failure, how asset drivers such as performance and condition may be converted into probability of, of failure factors. And so in doing that, I've taken a, a distinctly asset management approach to this whole asset criticality thing, incorporating risk, quality, and business management principles. So it's I've written the kind of book that I wish that I had when I started out 21 years ago. So the book will be out in December. Publishers are working with it now. I'm letting them do their thing. I'm kind of hovering from a distance. That's who I am. And it will be available on reliabilityweb.com, their MRO book zone. Those are the publishers. And there will also be a link from my website. And of course, you will not be able to miss the launch because I will be blinging it out on, on LinkedIn. So connect with me, watch my page, and you'll see it happen. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited for it. I, I mean, I guess I saw a little sneak preview of what's in the book at, at the main train conference, but I definitely like the methodology. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of doing some economics work and uh, studying decision making for, you know, poker purposes as well. And it like, even in terms of like reliability like the last few weeks i i can't remember how many times i've i've kind of said to people is like reliability it comes down to managing risk like understanding what's the risk right that that's absolutely correct and i in in the book i mentioned that i when i think back on all the conversations that i've had with top management and all the companies that i i've worked for I can't think of a time when the conversation was not about risk. In some way, shape, or form, that was what they were trying to get out of out of the conversation. What is the risk that, and what's the exposure that the organization has? Ab absolutely, it, it, it comes down to risk, and the other big part of it as well is recognizing that uh, they're really there really aren't any net zero asset management activities. So everything, every activity is either taking money out of the coffers or putting money into the coffers. And so what that means for us as practitioners is that when we say we are taking asset decisions, those decisions are really business decisions. That Those are the decisions that we're taking. No doubt. Yeah, that's that's another thing is is quantifying every decision 
in terms of a you know plus or minus dollar amount is definitely huge absolutely and that uh that understanding is at the center of almost all the fights that maintenance people have with their CFOs and the finance people. And if we could get on that page and <clears throat> get to understand how to speak business language in our documentation, in our communication, then we will bridge that gap and, and get to understand what the financial side of the business wants from the operational side of the business. And that's where the money, you know, the money meets the road, right? So that's right. <laughs> that's absolutely where it happens. And, and definitely. So Suzanne, you know, thanks for coming on. And definitely like when your book's out and published, we'll have you back on. Uh, and once I get a chance to to take a read through it, we'll definitely have you back on and we can really dive into the uh, everything you break down in the book. Um is there anything else that you want to plug? Like everyone follow Suzanne on LinkedIn, like you'll be tagged in the post or you'll be in the podcast notes. So you can follow Suzanne there. Obviously go to SuzanneGreeman.com, which will also be in the podcast notes for not only the article for the asset information, but also, you know, I assume you post blogs pretty often. And I'm I'm getting into it uh, slowly. I was a I was a, a late adopter, so I'm I'm getting there, and I, I have more and more coming out. Uh, not quite a lot yet, but I, I I'm getting there. That's 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 a part of what I need to free up some time to do. Yes, but I'm getting there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't carry a business card. LinkedIn is my business card. So connect with me on LinkedIn and. Uh, We'll pretty much be connected as long as LinkedIn is there. <laughs> yeah, and you, are you going to be at any conferences later this year? Absolutely. Uh, the publishers are are looking forward to launching the book at uh, IMC twenty eighteen. The IMC twenty eighteen, I think, is probably one of the biggest uh, maintenance. Uh, asset management reliability conferences that happens uh, this side in North America. Uh, this year, it's going to be in Florida. It's set to be exciting, a lot of exciting speakers. I will also be speaking on risk-based asset criticality, but I'm I'm so excited and humbled to be a part of that group. It, it's a huge group. I expect that it will be way over a thousand, probably as much as 1,500 maintenance reliability and asset management practitioners so if anybody is uh, thinking about what conference to go for the year uh get on to imc 2018 it, it's always always an exciting place to be yeah and i'll be there too so you can hit me up and i'll i look forward to seeing you again suzanne oh that's exciting i'm glad that you're gonna be there i look forward to seeing you there Perfect. So Suzanne, you know, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your expertise with, with all our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. I, it, again, I really appreciate the opportunity and um, it, I believe in what you do. I believe uh, there's something to be said for getting the information out in this kind of format. So I'm humbled that you chose me and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and uh, look out for my book. Yeah, and we'll definitely have you back on and talk about your book. So uh, everyone who's still listening, uh, 
First off, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, if you're on the treadmill or driving to work, you know, have a great workout. Have a safe drive. <laughs>